Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll take a look at weather. We'll look at sports and that bronze boot and also some high school sports and the importance of sports for our young people. We'll take a look at Veterans Day and how important that is. And finally, we'll talk about Mr. Tom Horn, a outlaw from our past, or was he? Thanks for joining us and hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the 7th day of November. Daylight savings time is in effect. We did fall back yesterday. Got dark last night a little bit early. Gets a little depressing this time of year with that early darkness. And definitely we have some weather ahead in the midweek. We look like we're going to have a snow event. Potentially some cooler temperatures. Looks like some highs in the 20s, which are going to be cold. And some low teens and, and below in the evenings. The winter is just upon us. It's not officially on the calendar, but it is here, and we might want to start stacking that firewood, make sure the propane tanks out there is full, make sure you're ready for winter. Taking a look at Wyoming sports here on the 7th of November on a Monday morning. Wyoming Cowboys off last weekend. They had a bye week after their trip to the islands and their victory over Hawaii. They're back in Mountain Western Conference action as they travel down to Fort Collins and take on CSU for the bronze boot. So we'll have more on that matchup next week. It should be a great game. I think the Cowboys are playing good right now. That running attack is on par with anyone in the conference, and I think that's what it's going to be. If the Cowboys can run the ball, they will definitely come back to Laramie with the bronze boot. So good luck to the Cowboys in that matchup against CSU. In high school sports, we just completed the state volleyball tournament. And boy, what a treat it was with some great matchups. And of course, I made my predictions last week on the show. I always like to own up to my errors on on predictions. And of course, on a recap in that championship game, Riverside and Southeast went head-to-head. And I did pick Riverside in that game. Riverside came out victorious with the 1A state title in a five-set thriller. It was just back and forth. Southeast went up two sets to zero. The Rebels got that third set. It was just an unbelievable game. They won the fourth set and the fifth set. They started out real well. And then Southeast got ahead 14-10. to 10, And it looked a little dire, of course, that fifth set for non-volleyball fans. is first to 15 by 2. Rebels, again, 14-10. to 10, And some great serving and some just great action back and forth. They ended up tying it at 14. And then they got those final two points for the state title for the Lady Rebels. That was their first in Riverside volleyball history. They had a storied past. This a little history on Riverside. They were the Basin Bobcats. And then when they shut down the Manderson-Hyattville School in Manderson, where the Lady Demons, they combined those two schools. And that's when they became the Rebels. Now the Manderson Lady Demons back in the Late 70s and early 80s were a very dominant volleyball team, had a quite a run on success, had some state titles uh, with Coach Doyle leading the charge with a lot of great players. And uh, But this was the first, uh, first state title for the Lady Rebels from Riverside High School. In 2A, I was just a little wrong on that. I had Bighorn 
And to Burns' credit, they came out and won that in, in an absolutely great match, take home the 2A state title. In 3A, I was spot on with that one, Mountain View and Lyman in the finals. And it was definitely, it was going on at the same time as the Riverside Southeast match was going on back and forth. And then they went to five sets and Mountain View ended up winning that in the fifth set. It was the same. It was very, a lot of drama, a lot of people at the edge of their seats watching the action, just outstanding play. But Mountain View came out with the 3A title. And in the 4A, I had picked East and Kelly Walsh. I got half of that bracket right, and I picked East to win the 4A title. East got beat in the semifinals. Laramie and Kelly Walsh were outstanding in that other semifinal. Went down to five sets, and Kelly Walsh prevailed. And in that final game, Cody came in, the Cody Bronx. They came in and... A little bit overmatched. Kelly Walsh was just a great team. They had played in the same, they were in the same conference during the year and Kelly Walsh had beat them. Kelly Walsh is a seasoned bunch of players when you watch some of those 4A schools and they won in three sets. So Kelly Walsh was the state champion in 4A. So congratulations to all the teams. It was this uh, a great event that day. One thing that it was passed along to a lot of people, it'd be really exciting to see a state championship matchup between the, the champions of 1A, 2A, 3A, and 4A go head-to-head in a single elimination determine the ultimate state champion. That would definitely be interesting. In football, the semifinal games were played last weekend. Now, in the six-man, I did have Little Snake and Dubois, and I got that wrong. Dubois lost to Burlington, the Burlington Huskies, and they'll be playing in Laramie. Pine Bluffs and Shoshone, I got that spot on. Lovell and and Lyman, I thought Lyman would get in, but they were on the road at Bighorn, and they had a just a Donnybrook, a Bighorn pitch the shutout. But uh, Bighorn is moving on, so that will be rather interesting. Cody and Star Valley, I had that picked as far as the championship game. And, and in 4A, I had Sheridan and Natrona. Sheridan did come through with a resounding victory, but the Natrona fell to East. So in that championship matchup, you'll have Sheridan and East. So I will take... In the state title games, I'm going to go with a upset in 1A six-man. I'm going to go with Burlington because they're the I will take in, in a previous match, but I will take Pine Bluffs. Lovell and Bighorn, I, that's going to be a toss-up, but I'm going to go with Lovell. I've not seen Bighorn play this year, but Lovell has a lot of depth, and I think they're due. They were in the state title game last year, lost to Lyman by two, so I'm going to pick Lovell. Also, Cody and Star Valley, I just have to stay with Cody. And in the championship game, Sheridan and East. Sheridan has just been there forever. And again, they have a lot of experience in these type of games. East is a great ball club also. That should be an exciting game, but I have to go with Sheridan for the state title. So we'll see how we come out next week. Sitting at the tournament last weekend in Casper, watching the volleyball matchups. Got to thinking about the importance of sports and what it does for young people and what the what they take out of that and what they learn. You know, watching these matchups and watching the Riverside Southeast game, it was a ebb and flow of emotions. You know, one team down, looks like they're down and out, but they do come back and win two and then get into the fifth set and get out ahead. And then the other team, Southeast, gets out ahead. Riverside ends up coming back and winning it. And you start thinking about that is life. You know, we have ups and downs in life. And sometimes things are going well. Sometimes they're not going very well. And we have to remember that we have to continue on. We have to get up off the floor. We have to get up and 
continue to go at it uh, each time. And whether it's in life, you get up each morning. Yesterday wasn't a great day, but hey, today I'm getting up and we're going to have at it again. You can't quit. And I think that's the biggest thing. You just can't quit. And somebody loses. And again, it's pretty tough on the teams that lose those close matches. But they have to feel good that they worked hard. I mean, they played their hearts out. That was one of the type of situation in these somebody wins, somebody loses. But we'll continue on and we'll continue to work hard and and we'll get the next one. And the other thing out of these is just that bond that you're going to have with your teammates. You learn to work together. You learn to work for a common goal, which is also a part of life that we have to work together to get to something, to achieve something. And it is really just a great moment. And it's a moment that you'll never forget. It's something you'll they'll be with you forever, that you'll be sitting someplace and you'll think about that moment in time and what it has done for you. And hopefully that you pass on that message to your children and to people around you. A valuable life lesson. Today we'd like to recognize and remember coming up this week on the 11th day of the month of November is Veterans Day and how important that day is for our country. We want to remember all those veterans that gave the had the ultimate sacrifice that went away and defended our country and they didn't come back. And here we are, we're in an election week and we have a lot of things going on in our country right now. And I think it's really important for people to reflect back on Veterans Day and how many people stepped up and went and served at a time when we definitely needed to serve. They didn't complain. They went and did the duty that they were given. And so just remember that this week as you're sitting there wondering about what is going on and maybe complaining about stuff and such that's going on. But remember, these gentlemen and and these ladies gave their lives for our country. So we'd have the right to vote. We'd right to free speech and how important that is as our country continues on through some difficult times. But remember the sacrifice all these great Americans made. Today we want to take a look at a story from wildhistory.org. Tom Horn, a Wyoming enigma. And this was by Chip Carlson. It was published on November 8th of 2014. Tried and convicted and hanged in 1903 in Cheyenne for a murder he almost certainly did not commit. Tom Horn was an enigmatic range detective in the employ of ranchers who controlled large tracts of land in southeastern Wyoming and northwestern Colorado. 
Even today, he has the reputation as a killer hired to exterminate cattle rustlers, but in his own words, his work was that of a detective to patrol the range and look for cattle that were out of place, that is, away from the customary ranges of their owners. Horn remained controversial for two reasons. First, because of doubts that he actually killed 14-year-old Willie Nichols at the Iron Mountain northwest of Cheyenne on July 18, 1901, and second, because of the questionable nature of his trial. By then, he already had led an eventful life in the West that was evolving from frontier territory to a place more settled and economically developed. Born in Scotland County, Missouri, in 1806, Horn left home at the age of 14, according to his own accounts, and ended up in the Arizona Territories by way of various livestock and stage-driving jobs. In Kansas and New Mexico, he was smart, tough, and an excellent ear for speech, quickly picking up Spanish and later some of the Apache language. While still in his teens, he went to work for Al Shiver, chief of scouts for the U.S. Army, in its campaign against the Apache. In 1886, Horn escorted the army column that captured the famed Apache leader Geronimo for the final time. In 1891, the Pickerton National Detective Agency hired Horn to pursue bandits who had robbed the Denver and Rio Grande train near Canyon City, Colorado. Over the next decade, Horn did other jobs for the Pinkertons. Tom Horn came to Wyoming in the late 1880s, early 1890s. His service apparently solicited secretly by prominent ranchers, ranchers Ora Haley, John Coble, and Coble's partner Frank Bosler, and probably the huge Swan Land and Cattle Company, almost certainly were among his employers. At the time, the owners of large herds of cattle were struggling to survive in a business that had just a decade before was making them rich. In the 1880s, they ruled their range like private fiefdoms. Most had little concept of the true carrying capacity of those ranges, however, and stocked them with more cattle than the land could support. Cattle prices peaked in 1882, drawing more money to the industry and bringing more cattle to the land. Soon there was a beef glut. Prices began to fall, yet no one could think of anything to do but acquire even more cattle, weakening the ranges further and driving prices farther down. When a bad drought in 1886 was followed by a terrible winter, of 1886-1887, the cattle business was nearly wiped out. Many ranchers went out of business. Many long-standing cowboys and more recent immigrants to the territory took up homesteads and other small land claims of their own. The once-powerful Wyoming Stock Growers Association found both its membership and its revenues from dues shrinking drastically. Some of the cattlemen who survived began publicly blaming all their problems on cattle thieves. Rustling was definitely a factor, but only one of the many difficulties facing ranchers who owned large tracts of land. Claiming they were forced to make an example of the thieves, cattlemen Lynch homesteader Ella Watson and Jim Averill on the Sweetwater River in 1889. When that crime went unpunished, leading men of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association led a private army of 50 men into Johnson County in northern Wyoming in 1892 to kill suspected rustlers there. They murdered two men, but those crimes, too, went unpunished. Association Secretary Thomas Sturgis echoed a viewpoint common among the association members and often repeated by newspapers under their control. When, in 1886, he blamed the problem on sympathetic juries that could not convict cattle thieves. It's very difficult to get an indictment from a grand jury, even with 
pretty definite evidence as to the guilt of the party charged with stealing cattle. There seems to be a morbid sympathy with cattle thieves, both on the bench and in the jury room. It would be impossible for the association to undertake to bring the parties referred to to justice in the first place. We have no money at our disposal. Circumstances have forced cattlemen to look to themselves for protection outside of any association. Public outcry against the Sweetwater lynching and the Johnson County invasion was widespread. After the invasion, in the elections of 1892, the cattlemen political hold on the state weakened, and suddenly sheepmen too were bringing their flocks onto ranges cattlemen had long thought was of their own. But many cattlemen's attitude toward their difficulties appeared not to have changed much. They still thought rustlers were the cause of their woes, but they began to deal with those woes in secret. Enter Tom Horn. While no fixed date was established for Horn's arrival in Wyoming, the correspondence of U.S. Marshal Joseph P. Rankin shows Horn was in the state by May of 1892, when Rankin deputized him to investigate a murder in the aftermath of the Johnson County invasion. Rankin believed Horn was working for the Pinkertons at the same time. In 1895, Horn was most likely working for private interests when he was suspected of murdering two settlers. The first, William Lewis, was an immigrant from England who settled on Horse Creek, northwest of Cheyenne. In previous years, Lewis had been jailed for stealing clothing and cheating a boy at a faro game. At the time of his death, Lewis was suspected of cattle thief and under a court order to refrain from butchering cattle. On July 31st, as Lewis was loading a skinned beef into a wagon, three shots entered him. Tom Horn was suspected in a subpoena to appear at the coroner's inquest in Cheyenne. More than a dozen witnesses testified, including Horn and rancher William L. Clay. Clay and Horn both testified that Horn had been in the Bates Hole south of Casper at the time of the murder. Horn was exonerated. Two months later, Fred U. Powell, who homestead west of Laramie Range and in Elvin County, was shot and killed. Powell's hired hand, Andrew Ross, was the only other person on the ranch at the time. Ross testified at the inquest that he heard one shot, found his employer body, and fled. Powell's wife, Mary, and son, Billy, were in Laramie at the time of the murder. But at the inquest, Billy was in court, and upon seeing Tom Horn cried out, Mama, that's the man who killed Daddy. But the boy could make a statement like that when he was not present at the murder remains a major question. But the prosecutor, in Horn's trial years later, would use it against the detective. Despite Billy's sudden outburst, Horn was not charged in connection with the Powell murder. But these crimes and rumors of other killings had by 1895 already solidified Horn's intimidating reputation. In 1914, Philadelphia physician Charles Penrose, who briefly accompanied the 1892 invasion of Johnson County but left before the killing began, wrote his recollections. Penrose included a vivid description of Horn as he was in 1895, as told to him by W.C. Billy Irvin, president of the Wyoming Stock Growers Association during the 1890s. At the time, Wyoming Governor W.A. Richards was experienced cattle thieves on his own range in northwest Wyoming. As Penrose recounts in Irving's story, Richards and Irving encountered each other walking toward the capital, where both the governor and the Stock Growers Association had offices at the time. When he reached the building, he said, Come into my office. I want to see you. He immediately laid his troubles at the ranch before me, Irving told Penrose, and we discussed the situation quite quite fully. He finally said that he would like to meet Tom Horn, but hesitated to have him come to the governor's office. I said, Stroll in my office at the other end of the hall at 3 o'clock this afternoon, and I will have him there. At the meeting, the governor was quite nervous. So was I, Horn perfectly cool. 
he generally was careful of his ground. He told the governor he would either drive every rustler out of Bighorn County or take no pay other than the $350 advance to buy two horses and a pack outfit. When he had finished the job to the governor's satisfaction, he should receive $5,000 because, he said in conclusion, whenever everything else fails, I have a system which never does. He placed no limit on the number of men to be gotten rid of. This almost stunned the governor. He immediately showed an inclination to shorten the interview. After Horn left and the governor said to me, So that is Tom Horn, a very different man from what I expected to meet. Why, he is not bad looking and quite intelligent, but a cool devil, isn't he? Horn continued to work as a detective through the late 1890s into 1990. Many historians have included Horn murdered two suspected cattle thieves, Matt Rash and Isom Dart, in Browns Park, where the Colorado-Utah and Wyoming borders intersect. A foreman for the ranch who hired Horn was quite firm in the account written down 20 years later that Horn had done their crimes. The crimes received little notice in Wyoming. After the nickel murder in 1901, the county commissioners of Cheyenne hired sometimes stock detective and sometimes deputy U.S. Marshal Joe LaFors to investigate that crime. In December 1901, LaFors received the first of several letters from a former boss in Miles City, Montana, that spoke of a need for a range detective to investigate rustling in the area. LaFors forwarded the letters to Tom Horn, apparently to induce him to respond. Apparently taking the bait, Horn went from John Cobble's place in Bosler, where he had been living at the time, to Cheyenne on Saturday, January the 11th, 1902. Probably stayed up all night drinking and accompanied LaForest to the U.S. Marshal Office on 16th Street, now 210 West Lincoln Way. The next morning, LaForest secreted two people, a stenographer and a witness behind a locked door. Over the course of a couple hours, LaFore led Horn into making a series of incriminating remarks about the nickel killing. The most damaging was, it was the best shot that ever made and the dirtiest trick I'd ever done. Everything was recorded and this transcribes these comments, which were used as key evidence in Horn's trial. The trial, held just before the November 1902 election, was tainted by politics. Prosecutor Walter R. Stroll and presiding judge Richard Scott were both up for re-election. Public interest was intense, and the event received widespread newspaper coverage in Wyoming and Colorado. Horn's lawyers included some of the best known in the state, including John W. Lacey, a former Chief Justice of the Wyoming Territory, and T. Blake Kennedy, later a federal judge. But they had a client who, on the stand, became his own worst enemy. Horn's oversized ego apparently caused him to challenge the prosecutor, and Horn's own testimony destroyed his alibi, placing him 20 miles from the site of the murder just an hour after it happened. Horn's lawyers closed by emphasizing that all evidence was circumstantial and that Horn's supposed confession was nothing but a drunken boast. Stroll, in closing arguments for the prosecution, poised that Horn killed Willie Nickel in order to keep the boy from reporting on his presence in the area. The jurors accepted this motive, but in all likelihood, given the anti-Horn press coverage and their poorly enforced sequestration, they made up their minds before they left the courtroom to deliberate. Horn was hanged at the Cheyenne Jail November 20th of 1903. Although he might have murdered Willie Nichols, he probably did not. There was no direct material or testimony evidence to provide that he did commit the crime. The confession he gave to LaForce was given while he was drunk. Horn was a known boaster, and neither LaFour 
nor any other authority tried to investigate anyone else. The Nichols, for example, had been feuding for several years with a neighbor, the Millers. A strong case can be made that Jim Miller mistook Willie Nichols for his father, Kells, that morning in 1901 and shot him to settle old scores. Horn, it seemed clear, was convicted because his reputation made him an easy target for prosecution. Horn remains an enigma because of the lingering controversy over whether he killed Willie Nichols and over the nature of the trial. Even more important than questions of his guilt, however, was the political shift of Wyoming shown by the fact that Horn, friend of Barron's, was convicted and executed. Their power, once substantial, was on the wane. Ordinary Wyoming citizens were growing intolerant of their heavy-handed actions. Another great story from wildhistory.org. If you remember in this story, they talked about a couple that were murdered for by these barons and, and more or less a cover-up. And that was a story we had earlier about Cattle Kate and her husband. So if you'd like to go back to that episode, and you can take a, another listen to the story about Cattle Kate, which ties directly into this Tom Horn story. Joining us today, and we hope you enjoyed our show. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming here at Let's Talk Wyoming, your everything Wyoming podcast.